Good afternoon and welcome to WEHC. Here we are with She Walks. It's Sharon Bowers and Carly Blaylock. And we're glad that you joined us on 90.7. We don't really set out to have controversial shows. That's not our intent. Uh, I hope no one thinks that. What we're trying to do is just have some engaging conversation around issues, challenges, concerns, women, and especially women on their walk to freedom. Because I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life as a woman, I identify as a woman, and there have been times in my life when I have just felt totally oppressed and felt like I needed some freedom. I needed to be able to walk to my freedom. And so one of the people that when we named our show and all those kinds of things, we understood Sojourner Truth and we understood her need to just walk to freedom. The story is that says that one time somebody says, well, you ran to freedom or you ran off. And she said, no, I didn't. I just got up. I found the best time and I walked to my freedom. And so we're encouraging women all over, whatever you're going through, whatever the bondage feels like, whatever the oppression is, is to find ways and strategies to walk to your freedom. And we're doing it with an intersectional lens and hopefully it's going to bring some help, some healing and some hope if for nobody else, but for Carly, <laughs> Carly and myself. So welcome Carly to She Walks again today. Hello, I'm happy to be here. I think today we want to talk a little bit about feminism and we want to talk about it from the perspective of white feminism and black feminism and womanist scholarship, intersectionality, all of those kinds of things. But really, one thing that I hope, Carly, that we'll get to today, and, and I think you're going to define it for us. And, and well, why don't we just do this? Carly's going to give us some textbook definitions and a more colloquial definition, and then we'll start talking from there. Carly? We like to do shows every so often to kind of check back in with feminism because our, our show is an intersectional feminist show. So when we talk about feminism, what are we talking about, right? If we want to use a super scholarly definition, um, the one that we're using today um, comes from the Women and Gender Studies Department of Eastern Kentucky University. It says feminism is an interdisciplinary approach to the issues of equality and equity based on gender, gender expression, gender identity, sex, and sexuality as understood through social theories and political activism. So that's a very wordy kind of way to basically say that feminism is about all genders having equal rights and opportunities. That's kind of, you know, when we talk about feminism, that's what we're kind of talking about. But within the, the umbrella of feminism, there are many different philosophies. There are many different waves. Um, you'll hear about people saying like first wave feminism, third wave feminism, what does that mean? Um, you'll have people who are focused particularly on LGBT issues for women. I mean, you have all kinds of philosophies, right? Um, and one term that has been used a lot recently and is very misunderstood is the term white feminism, right? What white feminism essentially is used to describe is the issues traditionally that have been focused on under this umbrella of white feminism are the issues that women are facing, the issues that oppress them, but only through that lens. So, you know, if you hear a statistic quoted, you know, this percent of women do this. Well, how many, how, what percentage of those women are women of color? What percentage of those women are gay women, right? It doesn't take into account all the intersection, intersectionalities within feminism. So one definition um, is it's used to describe the expressions of feminism, which are perceived as focusing on white women while failing to address the distinct form of forms of oppression faced by the ethnic minority women and women lacking other privileges. Um, and there's an excellent book if you're interested in um, reading more about what we mean when we say white feminism. Um, white Feminism uh, by Koa Beck. 
The full title of the book is White Feminism from the Suffragettes to Influencers and Who They Leave Behind, which I think is an excellent title. A little bit about that as well. And I don't want to just blame, put all the blame on white women for their only being or, or this concept of white, of white feminism. But I do believe that we, we kind of need to bring in the concept of black feminists. And, and, and the reason why we do that is because what black feminism does, it centers on the experience of black women and understanding our position in racism, sexism, classism, all the other social and political identities and and how black women have been excluded from mainstream feminism and primarily because of their race, not because of their gender, but because of their race. And sometimes they've been simultaneously excluded from the black liberation movements because of their gender. So this whole black feminist piece is really about finding ways to engage black women in the struggle to dismantle, overthrow, to get rid of oppression. And so um, I think this whole uh, putting black liberation and gender equality together, and you start thinking from the perspective of what it feels like from a black feminist perspective. So, yeah. And I think it's important that we are very critical of, we are, we are using this white feminism label to be critical of things because white women, although they are oppressed through gender, experience the benefits of white supremacy, right? And so it's really important to acknowledge that because that affects everything. It affects your perspective. It affects how far you're willing to go for equality, right? Um, and, and again, we saw this in the suffragette movement. The suffragettes were white women, women of color, the whole gamut, right? Um, lesbian women, it was, it was all women. But as soon as white women got the right to vote, that was it. Yeah. They didn't they didn't fight anymore, even though their black sisters were left behind. Right. And and that has created a lot of animosity in feminism. Right. Because it's like, oh, well, once you get yours, you don't care if we get ours. Right. And that has that's been this whole issue of what we consider to be white feminism. Right. Yeah. And I think that that uh, a major because you know, even making those decisions from a suffragette perspective, who will get the right to vote? Can't you wait? You know, you, you're waiting based on your ethnicity, you know, and, and even from a patriarchal perspective, let your men get to vote first. It'll be better. You know, I mean, and, and these are white women who are saying this, who should have been more inclusive and didn't do that. And I think that white feminism at best is problematic if we Mm -hmm. only see it that way. And, and, and primarily it's that way because white feminists get to create a system, if you will, where they are not culpable, like with white men, but they get to act like that they're not part of that whole patriarchal system and that they've distanced themselves from it. And even sometimes act like they're not a part of a, a racist system and distance themselves from that. But specifically the agenda is to move white women to advance white women. And Carly, it happens just like you said, when it was about who would get to vote. You know, the agenda was not that we're not going to vote unless black women get to vote too. We're not going to, we're in this together. It's very easily to pull out and let your whiteness, if you will, be the, the main, the main, the main variable instead of your, your uh, woman, your gender. You're exactly right. And a lot of white feminists, people who are under the white feminine feminist label will use their gender as sort of like, well, I can't be this because I'm also oppressed, right? I can't be racist because I'm also oppressed. I can't be homophobic because I'm also oppressed, right? When we know that's not true, number one, 
And number two, there's a lack of solidarity there. And like yes. you said, you know, if one of us is oppressed, all of us are oppressed. And until you have that mindset, you're not doing the work of feminism. Yeah. And, and white feminists, what they do is, in my opinion, it, it, but they co-op, you know, the struggle of blackness or black women in particular. And, uh, and then they say that this is going to benefit everybody, but in actual fact, it doesn't benefit everybody. It ends up only benefit. It's a prime example. And I know there are listeners who would argue about this, but affirmative action, people who were anti-affirmative action and thought that black people were benefiting tremendously from affirmative action. In actual fact, who's benefited from affirmative action are white women. Mm Mm-hmm. And, but, but the story has been, been told that black people were benefiting from it and, and, and white people by far, if you start looking at who the white women CEOs are, uh, you know, of, of any of the fortune 500 companies they're generally they're white. We've got a few more black women coming in now, but for the most part, all of the places and spaces that affirmative action opened up, white women very quickly and easily moved in because of their whiteness and not necessarily at all times bringing their black sisters with them. So I think, uh, you know, it's critical for us to kind of look at when we're talking about today, we're, we're kind of asking that question, is there a place for black feminists in a white feminist movement? And, and I think we see, we talked earlier at one of our shows about the, the Combahee collective about black feminist, lesbian women coming together and recognizing that the fight that was being fought by white feminists was not including them black lesbians it was it was excluding them you know so yeah. um i think i think we have to have to see that and and as i said earlier i don't think we can blame totally blame white women or white feminists on this but there is a there always has been this erasure if you will of the experience of black women and so you've got people like uh oh carly remember when we had uh dr jennifer nash on during mm-hmm. women's history month and she her book was called black feminism reimagined and she was mostly talking about it from an intersectional lens but she was also looking at you know the institutional history of intersectionality and how the role that it's played and and just calling us to kind of look at where we are and how do we uh, unleash this black feminist theory, this vision. And then you've got Patricia Hill Collins who, you know, started this whole concept of black feminist thought. And to say that from an epistemological perspective, that there is a place in the space, Carly, you and I are colleagues and we're friends, but our lived experience is very different. I mean, I'm old, you're young, <laughs> I'm black, you're white, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know about your economics. We're, we both struggling now, but you know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, those kinds of things, and, and it has to be taken into account that there is the difference. And so when we talk about white feminists versus black feminists and, and is there a need, and we might say the Rodney King question, why can't we all just get along? Well, the, the, the answer that I would say to that is that our experiences are different. I completely agree with that. And I think we, we're not saying that all white women who identify as feminists fall under white feminism. White feminism is a specific perspective of looking at the world. However, I do want to caution white feminists people who are white women who would say that they're feminists from not looking at that intersectional piece. And that's why you and I describe this show as being intersectionally feminist, right? Because we are thinking about race, gender, sexuality, class, all of these other things that impact us. So yes, we are both women, but we've both had very different lived experiences. And a lot of the women we've had on our show have had very different lived experiences from us. 
a, a rich woman is going to have a very different experience than a poor woman, whether that rich woman is white or black or that poor woman's white or black, right? So, you know, taking those things into consideration and understanding that as we are fighting this fight for gender equality, that there are a lot of factors to be considered. And there are a lot of systems that we have to fight within in order to really truly be find that equality and equity, right? Yeah, because I mean, you think about it again, we don't have all the answers Carly said, said, but we don't, but you think about it, even systems like patriarchy help to keep white women in places of privilege that that was not the case for black women or other women, you know? And so a lens of white feminists that has privilege in it doesn't look anything like feminism for me as a black woman that was not afforded privilege. So all of those systems uh, that keep this stuff in place, we have to look at them. And so we have to look at them through the lived lens. I, I think that's the best way that I would say it, through the lived lens. And so, you know, my story is not like your story. Right. And if you knew my story, you treat me differently. If I knew your story, I would treat you differently. But you know, while while all you had all the, the white women experiencing privilege and doing all that, you had the black women who were experienced enslavement. And and Absolutely. we hear stories all the time and see stories about, you know, white women even having the privilege of not even having to nurse their own babies, to have black women to nurse their babies. You know, I mean so so, you know, and that's patriarchal patriarchy helps to set up that system that is always even we talked about this i think on one of our shows but a white woman is the epitome of beauty the beauty versus, standard. yeah absolutely. the beauty standard yeah. you know mm -hmm. versus so when you start talking about white feminism and you start talking about the actual movement you can see that there is a need for women of color i.e black feminists to 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 kind of say hey wait a minute here's my location yeah I, I don't... absolutely yeah once you start deconstructing these ideas you start realizing how deeply interconnected everything is you cannot have conversations around gender equality and not be having conversations around racial equality equality for lgbtq plus populations you just can't because yeah. they're all so deeply interconnected and you know, all these oppressive systems work together to keep us all down, right? So, and from an intersectional perspective, I mean, you know, from a patriarchal system, black women were treated as non-white men. Black women were looked at as non-white men because we didn't have the same privilege of staying home, being the damsel in distress, doing all that. We had to get fit in where you get in. We had to get out to the fields. We had to do that, raise our children, have our babies, bring them alongside, all of that where white women were able, so the fight, if you will, the struggle is real for both of us, but the struggle is not the same. Absolutely. That's a really, that's an excellent way to put that. It's real for both of us, but it is not the same. It is not the same. Yeah. One thing we were going to kind of briefly touch on, some people talk about like first wave feminism, second wave feminism. What are we talking about here? Um, and, and we're considered to be in the fourth wave now. Mm -hmm. When we talk about like first wave feminism, we're talking primarily about women's suffrage, although, you know, that was certainly not like the first women's rights movement. Um, you know, there have been various times throughout history in other places and other cultures, um, you know, that looks very different. But when we're talking about specifically American feminism, the first wave there is is considered to be the women's suffrage suffrage movement, which we talked about briefly. Second wave feminism um, is sort of what they call the period between the 1960s and the 80s, which worked, which was mainly about like women's reproductive rights, the right to work. Um, this was when women got the right to, you know, open credit cards. 
mm-hmm. on their own without their husband or father's approval, all of that sort of thing. So it was a lot about economic, mm-hmm. um, but also reproductive, right? Third wave feminism began in the 1990s, which surrounded a lot of issues of sexuality, that women should embrace their sexuality. You saw a lot more revealing clothing, you know, things like that. Diversity, um, diversity. Diversity, that. Yeah. absolutely. Reclaiming words like whore or slut. Um, I know the slut walk was something I think was started in the 90s or early 2000s. <laughs> Um, you know, reclaiming that kind of like that kind of stuff. And then, of course, what we find ourselves in now is what what is fourth wave feminism. And this is the focus on the theory of intersectionality, making sure your feminism is intersectional as authors like Kimberly Crenshaw have mm-hmm. written about. So the, just to kind of define, that's a very broad definition that's by no means super scholarly, but that's sort of what we're talking about when we talk about the waves. Of- and, and I think as we do that, we're the inclusivity in the third wave and the fourth wave, if you look at it from that perspective, is it's starting to challenge us a little bit, especially from the diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging kind of perspective till till now where, where we're talking about, you know, we're fighting the, this, the Me Too movement, you know, we're <laughs> fighting, you know, sexual harassment, all of those other kinds of things. But uh, recently, uh, Dr. Shelley Cole and I were talking and some others we were talking and one of the things that she was saying and we just started having a, a loose conversation about this, which we may be able to, to do later on our show, but we started talking about, you know, Carly, people your age and younger, uh, whether or not the word feminism means the same. Is feminism that the way we've known it through these quote unquote ways, will it be relevant in the future? And will it be relevant right. to to your age and, and people younger? Which is an excellent question. And I will do the best to answer it from my own perspective because I certainly don't speak for my entire generation. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those of you who do not know me, I am a, a millennial. I'm one on, I'm a younger millennial. Um, <laughs> And Gen Z is coming up right behind me and many of my friends are in the Gen Z, Gen Z group. So I do know a little bit about the perspective on this. So one thing that you'll often hear feminists, uh, millennial feminists and Gen Z feminists say is if your feminist is not intersectional, it's not feminism. So there is definitely this push for if you are going to call yourself a feminist, you better be an intersectional feminist, right? And being very critical of white feminism and trans-exclusionary feminism, which we'll talk about a little bit in a minute, because I think that is the work, right? It's more than just we are, we're talking about women as a whole, but women within all all the different intersections within womanhood, right? Mm -hmm. And as we talk more about gender expression and gender identity, we must include within that non-binary people, femme-presenting people, and trans women, right? that that is important that those populations are also, that are also included. And you'll often hear like non-binary people who are more femme presenting, talk about the way that society treats them and that society will see them as a woman and treat them as a woman, even though they're not. Um, And you'll also hear about transgender people who tell their stories, whether they are transitioning from a man to a woman or a woman to a man, they'll talk about the way that, that society treats them differently, right? a person who is a transgendered man will talk about the privilege that they start to experience, the male privilege they start to experience when they've transitioned. And you'll hear people who have, you know, been socialized as a man their whole life transition to a woman, and then all of a sudden they're experiencing that gender oppression, right? So there's a lot of complexity there. And I think what 
fourth wave feminists, what millennial feminists and Gen Z feminists really want to do is make sure that there's space held for that and that we're looking at all of the different intersectionalities. And, you know, it's difficult to do because there is a lot going on, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and I don't think, so I don't think that there is like, oh, feminism's not important anymore. We're just saying that it's not the only work. And if we're going to do feminist work, it has to be intersectional. Otherwise, what's the point? What are we doing? There are also a lot of feminists, particularly older generation feminists, although there are some within the millennial and Gen Z group as well who would describe themselves as trans-exclusionary. So Mm -hmm. basically not including trans women in your feminism, which again, I would argue, you can't do that, right? You can't be a feminist and also be trans-exclusionary. But um, there are people who, who feel that because trans women have experienced male privilege at some point in their life that that does not make them a real woman and that is obviously not the case so Mm -hmm. complex stuff all around but that's kind of i think where we are at the moment i I think it is critical for black feminist womanist uh um intersectional feminists for people who are 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 that we cannot afford these words that we use these ideologies these words this terminology we cannot afford to think that it means the same thing all the time to all people because when we're talking about intersectional feminism we're talking about it from as you said earlier kimberly crenshaw and we're we're talking about it from the perspective of looking at all of your identities that you own and how they intersect to make you who you are. And so if it, if we're just talking, which, which is what black feminism had to do when white feminism was just talking for white women and talking from their location and their perspective, it was not inclusive of us, quote unquote. So whether it be white feminists, black feminists, you know, if we don't go further and look at it from an intersectional perspective, then we're not doing it any justice for it to, to, to advocate uh, to get rid of oppression. We're not doing any justice because we're just doing it for a certain group of people, but not all. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that we need to be intentional about the words that we use because, you know, my generation, the millennials and the Gen Z, you'll hear all, most of us call ourselves feminists, right? Mm-hmm. Um, most of us would say, yes, absolutely. I'm a feminist. But what does that mean? Right. What kind of feminism are we talking about? Who is included in your feminism? So, yes, I think it's really important that we are very intentional about the words that we use for that. Because how the different aspects of a person's identity interact, you know, with the way they experience the world. I mean, you just talked earlier and and then what barriers they might face because we could just keep, you know, say, oh, so if you're black and you're female, what barriers do you uh, in the world as you interact? How do you interact with the social world? And then what barriers do you face if you're black, female and gay? You know, I mean, we could just go on and on. If you're white and you're gay, you know, and you're female. I mean, you could just ask because I think it's important for us to look at it from that perspective. So if we're trying to deal with inequality from a feminist lens, from a feminist perspective, it behooves us to be inclusive. Yeah. And there are so many identities that need to be considered. Ability, disability, immigration, right? Are you an immigrant? Because you're going to face a lot more um, barriers to you if you're an immigrant versus if you're not, right? So, you know, all of these, there's so much to consider. Yeah, and I, and I think that, that that's the challenge that we have. And so when you look at this, if you look at it as a movement, how do we move to where it is inclusive for all? What kinds of things, Carly, do you think that we might could do because there is a struggle, if you will. Uh, there was an article, um, I don't know where what journal it was in, uh, 
maybe American Sociological Association or something. But the title, I thought the title was good. It says, Struggling to Connect White and Black Feminism in the Movement Years. And so they were just kind of talking about why did interracial feminist movement fail to develop in the United States and, uh, you know, were the white feminists racist? And this is just one person's perspective. But I, I guess I would ask the question now to be more inclusive, you know, struggling to connect. How do we really manifest intersectional feminism? How how do we really do that in a place where division is 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 the, the word of the day yeah. instead of inclusion? And then... What do we do about our lived experiences from that perspective, from an intersectional perspective? You know, how do we deal with that? Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent question, and I don't know that I have an answer, but I will do my <laughs> best to try. One thing I think is important is to understand why that division is there, because yes, there are white feminists who are racist. That is just part of it, right? Also, understanding the suffragette movement and where that trust was really broken in the first mm-hmm, place, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the ripples of that are still being felt today. So understanding why this division exists in the first place is important. But I also think it's very important that the feminism is not contained just within like the women's march and stuff like that, right? We are talking about, you should, if you're an an intersectional feminist, you are at the Black Lives Matter marches, you're at Pride, you are, you know, writing the letters to your congressmen, you are doing the work, right? The justice work. And you are working for things within other realms because they all intersect, right? So you are for Black liberation. You are for class liberation. You know, you're working towards those things because everything is interconnected. And I think adopting that mindset of until we are all free, we are not free, right? Mm -hmm. And that solidarity piece has to be there because white women have to own that, right? We do have to own our white privilege and we have to own you know, the the racist behaviors that we either do or part, you know, benefit from, right? Mm-hmm. And the systems that we benefit from. So we have to own that and we have to work to deconstruct those things within ourselves, but also within our culture. And showing up, providing support, whether that's monetary, your your presence, your volunteering, whatever, um, in all of these other organizations is deeply important and expressing that solidarity, being an ally, all of that that is incredibly important. Anti-racist work is important. You know, if you're going to say that that you are an intersectional feminist, that is what you have to do. And you have to be willing to own your position of power as a white woman, even though you are oppressed ge- through your gender. You know, you do have privilege that you need to own and and use for good if you can. Well, and, and I think about how important it is to create spaces that are welcoming and affirming, you know, instead of unwelcoming and uncomfortable spaces that we've created. And from the suffragist movement and all of that, that was one of the things that that it that often it was described is that there was no place for the black woman yes. you know in that whole white feminist uh movement there was no place hence you had to create your own place just like there was no real place for the black lesbian hence the the collect the combahee uh, river collective i mean people are always being forced to try to create their own place in something right. that should already be inclusive from the beginning i mean if feminism is is, is real and if it's going to work then it's going to have to be intersectional and i'm not saying that yeah. just because that's our show but instead if it doesn't do that then it's going to force people out to find spaces where they are filled feel welcome, whether it be, you know, human sexuality, whether it be gender identity, whether it it be, you know, ethnicity. I mean, because, you know, you and I are talking about our our black and our white, but what about our Asian 
sisters. Absolutely. You know, yeah. our Latinx, our Hispanic sisters, you know, who are multi-ethnic people. It's got, to, that intersectional piece has got to, to be part of feminism. And if feminism, and this is a real, a real leap for me, and I know some people who are listening will probably take me on, but if, if feminism is going to be effective in the future, it must be intersectional. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, know that's I would a, agree with that. 100%. I know that's a leap, but I mean, that, that is really what we're saying because if it's not, then who is it for? And then, then you yeah. just have pockets of people that it benefits from. And we've seen that far too often. We've watched that and we've seen how it happens, how one group, you know, benefits and the other doesn't. And, you know, Carly, when you think about it, that's hard work and, and it may be too hard for white feminists to do. You know, it really and truly, and it may be be too hard for black heteronormative feminists to do. These might be the difficult places and spaces where people want to hold on to the name, but don't want to do the work. If not, if I want to just keep doing what I'm doing, you know, and calling it feminist. And that's where I think Dr. Cole, when we were having that conversation and she was reading the article, we were talking back and forth about it. You know, again, uh, I think that's where the younger white feminists can make the stand on the older black feminists or older white feminists and say, if you're not inclusive, yeah. then it's that's not what it is. It's something else. It's a, a, a nice club or something that you belong to. But to be really feminist, to really deconstruct systems of power, you have to do it in all ways. You can't just do it in, in a way that's beneficial to you. Yeah. And we're a lot stronger if we're all together. Yeah. You know, people fighting for black liberation, class liberation, gender liberation, LGBT liberation. If we are all together, we're much stronger than if we're all just fighting individual causes and not seeing the way that these things intersect. And if there's ever going to be a leveling of the playing field, then we are going to have to take into account people's location, people's lived experience, all of that, or else it really won't matter. We'll just, it'll still just be the same power base that's built on classism and the haves and the have nots and white male privilege and male privilege. The whole patriarchal peace will never be uh, deconstructed. And, and, and I, I think that, that our efforts, as you said, together, our efforts are going to be more powerful and more meaningful than any uh, separate entity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you all for joining us today. And in the upcoming weeks, we will definitely have an episode or maybe two about um, abolitionist <laughs> feminism. And we will also be hopefully talking to some uh, more women clergy about their experiences as well. So please look for those episodes in the upcoming weeks. We appreciate you joining us and we will see you next week.